Hello and welcome to my continuing story of the Devon Folk Song Collecting by the Reverend Sabine Baring Gould. In this, my third episode in the podcast series of The Parson and the Songman. The Reverend Sabine Baring Gould was an exceptional parson and squire from Devonshire, England. He is probably best remembered as the composer of the hymns Onward Christian Soldiers and Now the Day is Over. Born in Exeter in 1834, some 90 years later he died, 1924, at Lutrenchard Manor, his estate in West Devon. Therefore the year 2024 will see the centenary of his death. And in the period before it, I have decided to take the opportunity to spotlight what he considered to be the most important achievement of his life. That of collecting the old folk songs of Devonshire, and later Cornwall, from the mouths of the people, to use his own words. As I have mentioned in the previous podcasts, in the late spring or early summer of 1888, the discussion over dinner one evening about old Devon folk songs and the impending loss of them had prompted his host and friend Daniel Radford to suggest that Sabine was the right man for the job of collecting the songs before they were all lost forever. That may have been a rather hasty suggestion on the part of Daniel Radford, according to Sabine's grandson, Bickford H.C. Dickinson, who questioned it in his biography. Sabine Baring Gold, Squarson, writer and folklorist, 1834-1924, to published in 1970 by David and Charles of Newton Abbott. In the book's chapter, The Old Singing Men, Bickford wrote the assumption that Sabine was the right man for the job when in one all-important way he was completely unsuitable, for he had no musical training whatever. Then when suggesting that Sabine was the right man for the job, perhaps Daniel Radford was not aware of his friend's lack of musical expertise, as his grandson was. Then Bickford goes on to say it was Sabine's restless energy at the age of 54 that enabled him to save the old folk songs. Sabine's walk home from Mount Tavy to Loo the next morning had already set in motion the idea of him folk song collecting. Bickford's biography is an interesting read, and gives an excellent insight into the life of his grandfather, and is most informative because of his family ties. Bickford's mother Mary was the first child born to Sabine and his wife Grace. Looking back, I can see that his grandson did have a point that with no musical training, his grandfather would and indeed did encounter difficulties at the start of his collecting. But this would not have been the first time Sabine had been faced with a challenge in his long life that could not be overcome to his satisfaction. The challenge would come quickly when he first started taking down the songs from singers he invited to his home, Lou House. He would sit at his piano and tap the notes of the tune out as the singer sang the song, then record the notes. I have mentioned this drawn-out process of pricking out the tune, as James Parsons would call it, on his visits to Sabine in earlier podcasts. It could not have been easy and must have been time-consuming for the reverend gentleman and perhaps not always appreciated by the singer. Other than his lack of musical training, as his grandson had pointed out, in my opinion, Sabine was the right man for the job, and I back this up with the following four points. 
So Bean collected in excess of 800 folk songs from his native Devon and neighbouring east to mid-Cornwall between 1888 and 1903. Then there's the fact that he was a local parson and squire, made him perhaps the ideal person to move easily amongst the country people and agricultural labourers, collecting their old songs. As he was born and brought up in Devon, his understanding of the dialects of the singers as they talked and sang to him would have caused no problem. And then he was more than just a song collector to many of his singers. He became a friend. His songmen and women were mainly from the agricultural working class, while he was considered, in Victorian terms, to be a minor gentry. So as Squarsome, the title given to a member of the clergy, who was also the landowner of the estate, in this case Lou Trenchard Manor, he would be considered to be far above in class to that of his singers, who were often referred to as peasants. And then he may have had difficulties at first, as the old singers he encountered were apprehensive in singing to him, knowing he was the Squarsome. This obstacle of difference in class you would expect to cause some difficulty. But no, not for Sabine bearing gold. With a little coaxing and encouragement he won them over, and sing for him they did. He put them at their ease and they became comfortable with this gentleman parson, who became a friend, showing his great love of the songs he took down from them. He called them his songmen and said their songs were from the mouths of the people. The following quote emphasises my points from a fellow parson. In his biography, Onward Christian Soldier, published in 1957, the Reverend William Purcell wrote of Sabine as having a natural bent for country life, a deep understanding of the rural mind. He was a countryman. He was a gentleman of birth and lineage. He was upon his native turf. Again, another quote from the biography of Sabine by his grandson, Bickford emphasising the Reverend Purcell's points. Bickford wrote, There were in his nature two overmastering passions, accentuated by his upbringing, passions that coloured his whole life and were reflected in everything he did. They were his deep, some might say exaggerated, veneration for the past and his delight in beautiful things. In consequence, the saving from oblivion of the lovely, almost forgotten Devon folk songs satisfied his deepest instincts. For in doing so, he was preserving things that were both old and beautiful. Certainly their collection gave him tremendous pleasure at the time and a great pride in retrospect. I will again use a quote from Sabine from my first podcast, as he wrote in further reminiscences in the chapter on folk songs. I shall not forget my walk back next day from Mount Tavy to Loo. My mind was in ferment. I considered that I was on the outstart of a great and important work. And to this day, I consider that the recovery of our West Country melodies has been the principal achievement of my life. Now for another singer who came to sing for Sabine at his home, Lou House. John Woodridge, locally known as Ginger Jack, was a blacksmith of Thrushelton, a village close to Lou Trenchard. 
John had heard the following song sung in an alehouse near Biddeford in 1864 from an old man who recited a tale in which the song comes in in snatches. The old man had been soaked by the rain and told the tale as he dried himself by the kitchen fire. This is from a live recording made at the Eden Project for my CD By Chance It Was. And this is Go From My Window, the song with a story. Two men courted the same pretty maid. One was rich, the other poor. The rich man was old, but she loved the young poor man. Her father, in spite of her tears, forced her to marry the rich man. But her young lover would come under her window at night and tap, and when the husband was away, she would admit him. So passed a twelvemonth, and she had a child. Then, one night, the lover came under her window, thinking her good man was from home. With the lover's tapping, the husband awoke and asked what the sound was. She said that an ivy leaf fluttered by the wind had struck the pane, but fearing lest her lover should continue to tap, she began to sing as she rocked the cradle. Begone, begone, my willy, my billy, begone, my love and my dear. All the wind and the rain have brought him back again, Tonight thou canst lodge in here. Again the lover tapped, and the husband asked what that meant. She said that a bat had flown against the window, and she sang. Begone, begone, my willy, my billy, Begone, my love and my dear. All the weather it is warm, it will do thee no harm. Tonight thou canst lodge in here. Then the lover called. Didn't that put a fox amongst the chickens? The husband asked what that was. She said it was the hooting of an owl. And then she sang. Begone, begone, my willy, my billy. Begone, my love and my dear. Oh, the wind is in the west. And the cuckoo's in the nest. Tonight thou canst lodge in here. Again the lover tapped. She sprang out of bed, threw open the window and sang. Begone, begone, my willy, thou silly. Begone, my fool and my fear. Oh, the devil's in the man that he can understand. Tonight there is no lodging here. But, as the words of the storyline were thought by Sabine not acceptable to be included in Songs of the West, a song called Come to My Window was put in its place to the same tune, but not including the story. Here, as in other songs, where words and phrases were found in Sabine's opinion unsuitable to be included in Songs of the West, a change was made. So the original song and story appear in the notes in the back of Songs of the West, just as John Woodridge had told the tale and sang the song to Sabine. Is it here we see the parson with strict Christian values, giving way to the author, who could not resist the telling of an age-old story of illicit love? and passion 
through this Cante fable, a song with a story that we find in the notes of Songs of the West. But as far as guidance, help or advice on how to actually start collecting songs, there was none available. He was on his own. After all, he was the first person to take down the songs in Devon. Even though, as the Reverend Purcell had written in his biography, Sabine was on his own turf. But he was in unknown territory and he would have to proceed as he saw fit. He was just in time to take down the songs from this largely untapped English musical heritage of Devon before it slipped away forever. For me, he was the right man for the job. And most importantly, as I have said before, he would be the first to collect the folk songs of his native Devon. Help at the beginning of his song collecting may not have been on his doorstep in Devon, but strangely enough, further afield, it was out there in the English shires. Folk song collecting had already been taken up by people like Hayward Sumner, William Barrett, John Stocko and some others. Most notably of them was Miss Lucy Broadwood of Surrey and Frank Kidson of Yorkshire, who were already working on their song collecting at about the time that Sabine started his. Once all three became aware of each other, they would exchange correspondence about their song collecting and visit each other, compare notes and benefit from each other's experiences. Several letters exist in archive of communications between them. These three Victorians were the bedrock of the growing interest in folk song that we still have to this day. There will be more about the connections between Sabine, Lucy Broadwood and Frank Kidson in a later podcast. It would be 15 years later after Sabine started his collecting in 1888, early in the 20th century, that the next enthusiastic group of English folk song collectors would appear. Among them, George Gardner, the Hammond brothers, Cecil Sharp and the classical composer, Ralph Williams, would continue the work started by the groundbreaking three Victorians. Now back to Sabine and the autumn of 1888. He needed help, and quickly, with the music notation of the songs. His limited musical ability, he must have realised, was restricting his collecting efforts greatly. So with an invitation to stay at Lou House, help was requested. That help came from two collaborators, the Reverend Henry Fleetwood Shepherd, who was an authority on sacred music, especially plain song, and as presenter of Doncaster Choral Union, was recognised as one of the pioneers of improved church music. The other was Dr. Reverend Frederick Bussell, who would visit his mother and sister, who rented a house, the Ramps, beside the lake at Lou. He was vice-principal of Brasenose College, Oxford, and would spend his long vacations at the Ramps, and be on hand to assist Sabine, out collecting songs. Before the end of 1888, the three Parsons had collected close to a hundred Devon songs. Fleetwood Shepherd also would be responsible for producing the music accompaniment to the songs printed and published in Songs of the West. He and Freddie Bussell would work together on later printed works with Sabine. To tell the tales of the three Parsons and their musical adventures together, which they termed Going a Gypsying. 
I will explore this in a future podcast. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast and you will listen again as I tell stories about and sing songs from this far from ordinary Victorian country parson who travelled by pony and trap across his native Devonshire, seeking out the songs that now form a major part of the English folk song tradition. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast and will listen again. To continue to follow me and to have access to future podcasts, subscribe to Spotify, Google, Facebook or wherever you currently get your podcasts from. This has been The Parson and the Songman, produced by John Tidball. From me, Mike Bosworth, thank you for listening and goodbye.